0: I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. As I mentioned, in our 21 days of prayer, we'll be looking at three selected passages from the Sermon on the Mount that speak about prayer. However, this ends our journey through the Sermon on the Mount officially here as it pertains to covering uh, the, the, this theme uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew chapter 7, we'll look at verses 15 through through 27 this morning. Thankful for Pastor Brent, the past couple weeks teaching, uh, appreciate his ministry to us, and uh, looking forward this morning to jumping into this text with you. I think if we're honest, all of us long for authenticity, and I think especially in our culture today, authenticity is something that, um, at least from my perspective, has been uh, skewed to a degree, meaning Authenticity is what uh, I think that you should think it is, if that makes sense. You know, we, we talk about being true to self, being authentic people. And I think as Christians, we have a unique opportunity to demonstrate authenticity unlike anyone else in the world. Specifically, because of the gospel, because of Jesus, what he has done, he is making us into the new man. He is making us into our greatest authentic self. Because of this longing for authenticity, you know, it, it affects not just how we live, but it affects the relationships around us. We, we crave that others would treat us sincerely, honestly. And when we are mistaken or fooled, when someone is not authentic, it can be painful, can't it, right? We've all been in those places where it's a bait and switch, or we thought some person was one way, but they're not. I'm a pretty trusting and maybe even at times naive person. I remember... One of the first times, uh, someone was uh, not authentic with me, and it, and it really rattled me. Um, Megan and I were um, engaged, and we were actually at a Starbucks in South Carolina, uh, talking about plans for the fall. It was late in the spring. We were going to be away for the summer. Our wedding was in July, so we were trying to make plans to get everything set up for after marriage when we come back to South Carolina, where we were living, going to, going to be living. And uh, we're at the Starbucks talking. My, my voice is a little bit loud, so I'm, it was carrying. And uh, a couple next to us, probably a little bit, a little bit older, uh, not not too much. Uh, I, I noticed was taking notice of us. It's so, like a nice couple. And I was talking to Megan, and I, I kind of whispered, which was still kind of loud. I said, uh, "I said I think they're like listening in." And sure enough, they saw me do that, and they're like, "Yeah, we actually are." And and so it was a little awkward there, but then they said, "Hey, you know, we're, we're we're just hearing what you're doing. We're really excited for you." And then all of a sudden, we had this great conversation. They're talking about, you know, their journey. They had a little little baby with them, and uh, you know, talking. They're so excited for us. And so he's like, "Hey, uh, how's the job? You know, do you have a job yet?" And at that point, I was kind of in the process of of finalizing a job, but it wasn't quite finalized for the fall. I was like, "Matter of fact." I said it's funny you ask, because I'm, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing yet. So oh man, it's so cool. And he started talking about this opportunity where he worked, and I was like, man, this, I was, I was like, this could be great. So he's like, hey, how about this? He's like, let, let, me, let me give you a call in a couple days and, and we'll just talk about it. So on that car ride, Megan and I are like, man, how cool is this? You know, like we're getting married and people are looking out for us. It felt like, it felt like there's such a good community around us. I was just so happy by this genuine interaction with this seemed like lovely, you know, couple. So I got a phone call a couple of days later from this guy, and you know, picked right up where we left off and started talking about his company. And so I had him on speakerphone with Megan, and um, he starts talking about the type of business he's in. And I was like, you know, I didn't quite understand what a pyramid scheme was at that point. But I'm like, wait. So I was, I, was, I was just saying these things out loud. So, what you're, the business is? I'm kind of selling these things for you. Is that kind of what you're saying? It's like, yeah, but you know, you have opportunities of your own. I'm like, okay. So I, I'm like, well, what exactly are am I going to be selling? Well, you know, you got to come to this meeting. I can explain it more to you there. And so I remember Megan looking at me. If you know Megan, you know she's much more fearful and 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 a little more you know less trusting than I than I am. And she was just kind of like. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And so uh, we didn't have smartphones because we're old, and this was a while ago, and uh, when we got back home, we pulled up this guy's website, and sure enough, it was like this dude was wanting me to come sell like vitamins and juices for his little, you know, scheme thing he was a part of. So at that moment, not only was I bummed, I legitimately needed a good job, I was like, this guy duped me. So sure enough, though, he called me and he was like, hey, today's the day of that meeting, you know, can I count on you there, man? And I was like, listen, like, I think you're a little bit misleading, and, you know, I just, I'm not interested. Well, you said I was like, no, 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 and, and all of a sudden, what once seemed like it had such promise in this relationship, because there wasn't sincerity and authenticity, ended up being a really kind of ugly phone call. You ever had something like that happen to you? Maybe not to that degree, but have you ever thought someone was not, like truly who, or you ever thought someone was one way, and then as you got to know them, they were different? It, it's sad, isn't it? It's, sometimes it feels just kind of like dirty and, and, and unfortunate. You're taken for a ride, and yet that person is completely different. Here in Matthew 7, Jesus calls his kingdom followers, specifically those who are hearing this message, He calls them into a true gospel authenticity. And he does this, I think, very simply with a tale of twos, meaning Jesus gives us three different sets to look at this morning to examine whether or not we are in the gospel authenticity that he calls us to. See, Jesus calls us as his kingdom followers into gospel authenticity by process of comparison, the prospect of condemnation, and then finally by a portrait of construction. Let's just walk through these verses together this morning and look at how Jesus calls us, his kingdom followers, into gospel authenticity. Let's begin here with this process of comparison starting in verse 15. Jesus says, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruit. And he gives us this question, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Jesus begins with a warning to his followers regarding false prophets. Now, We probably have an idea or have heard the word prophet before, but specifically prophets, as in the Old Testament, which would be what that crowd there was very familiar with, refer to those who either foretell or forthtell God's word. Author Leon Morris notes that Jesus is speaking of religious leaders, and listen carefully to this, who put on a harmless front to deceive their followers, but whose real interest is in their own prophet. Sheep they may appear to be, Morris continues, but their inward character indicates that they will always be wolves who try to further their own interests at the expense of the flock. I think today, maybe probably more than ever, we can interact with preaching and teaching uh, online, on our phones, on the TV, and I think... It's unfortunately, sadly, it's really easy to pick off what we would call these prosperity gospel preachers. Um, There's one that's so obvious, and it's low-hanging fruit here. But I remember when I was a kid, my parents became Christians and, uh, you know, had no religious background. And so we watched initially the Trinity Broadcasting Network. And there was a guy in there, my mom and dad really took to initially, and his name was Kenneth Copeland. And, uh, you know, he was a you know, very energetic, dynamic speaker. And, and I just remember, you know, my parents, you know, saying, Ken, I don't know about this guy. And sure enough, now, years later, you know, his fruit has revealed who he is. And again, low-hanging fruit, not here to to shame anyone in particular, but the point is, we are in a society where this type of prosperity, gospel theology is prevalent and it's destructive. And Jesus is warning, of, warning to us of that type of sheep or wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, what's interesting, though, is that my guess is that most of us in here could spot the outlandish people, the ones... Saying that they need a you know a Gulfstream jet to avoid demons on the airplane, like we we understand some of the outlandish stuff, but I think it's interesting that in the unprecedented and uncertain times we're in, I feel like maybe more than ever on our social media streams, we are seeing people give uh, a prophetic word or, or. politicizing the gospel. And I just want, to be care- just want to warn you right now. Given the unique circumstances we're in, as God's people more than ever, we have to be on our guard for what we are hearing and, and receiving. It's like we need to be like the Bereans of Acts 17 who receive the word with eagerness and examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. But what's interesting is that Jesus isn't just merely concerned with these these prominent teachers or what he calls false prophets. He's actually calling his followers into this authenticity, so he moves beyond just simply these prophets right down to to the common everyday people like you and me. And he says in verse 17, in the same way, generally speaking, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he repeats, this kind of summarizes what he said so far. So, verse 20, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Jesus elaborates here on the nature of authenticity by pressing into this fruit example. Authors note that this, this expression, every good tree and every bad tree, makes the test certain, but not necessarily easy or quick. And I want us to just depart for a moment here to know this, the important theology that comes from this illustration. Jesus says that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Let me start here with what Jesus isn't saying. He is not saying that someone who is a good tree, you know, I'm suggesting one of his followers, is incapable of sinning. However, I believe Jesus does intend to point out that if you are a true follower of his, then your words and actions will show it. Also, if you're not a true follower of his, then simply trying to produce good fruit or do good things. Cannot make you a good tree. So, when we're talking about gospel authenticity, in the middle of this illustration, Jesus presents to us this picture of fruit. And in this picture of fruit, he makes it so clear that those who are good trees, in this case, are his true followers, will produce what? Good trees produce what? Good fruit. And those who are bad trees will produce what? Now, in this analogy that he's using, he's wanting us to make clear that a bad tree cannot, because of by nature who it is, produce good fruit. There is, if you are someone who is outside of a relationship with Jesus, if the spirit is not indwelling in you, No matter how many, I'm going to use just you know, air quotes here, good things that you can do, that doesn't mean they are inherently righteous or what Jesus says here is good fruit. I think what's interesting is that sometimes we think if we can do enough good things, then that can maybe produce or merit or earn God's appreciation or acceptance of us. But what Jesus tells us here is so revealing. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. They don't, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit and a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. So now we're put all of a sudden to a question, well, how do I know if I'm a good tree or a bad tree? Well, this is what's important for us to understand. To just pull out of this illustration for a moment. When Jesus is calling his followers into what I'm calling here, gospel authenticity, he's having them understand that There is no righteousness outside of God. And even though we might attempt to do good things, unless there is an internal righteousness, then our external actions cannot be good. However, though, we learn in Scripture that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus came to this earth to die in our place and rose from the grave. And when we believe in him, our Savior, we are given what Scripture says is life in that abundance. So consequently, by believing in Jesus, by trusting in his work, his his life, death, and resurrection, we are offered an opportunity to be changed from a bad tree to a good tree. Now, why is this significant? Because in this examination that Jesus is calling us to, he's calling us to look at how we live. Because the way we live is a test, not the only test, but is a test of who we are inside. So as you look at your words and your actions, are they revealing a dependent, saving relationship with Jesus? Or do those words and actions reveal a self-centered trust in what you can do? And you've got to come to an answer here. Because Jesus gives us this process of comparison to see what gospel authenticity looks like. But the second way he calls us into this is through a prospect of judgment, a prospect of condemnation. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus has made it emphatically clear that a person's deeds show or reveal who that person is. And now he is saying that words also are a significant matter as well. He says it's easy for someone to profess loyalty, but to practice it is quite another thing. And author Craig Keener notes that churchgoers today are no more automatically saved than those who ate with Jesus in the past. He says, as often noted, attending a church no more makes you a Christian than if you were to walk into a garage that makes you a car. Now, as many of you know, my family, as I was being stupid this morning, we we love college football. I love Michigan. And unfortunately, my wife loves Notre Dame. And uh, this divided love for these themes has now been passed down and affects our kids. Um, so my hope was that I was going to persuade all of my children to like Michigan, uh, but unfortunately my oldest daughter Olivia has uh, gone the way of her mother and likes Notre Dame. However, Ella, our middle daughter, uh, likes Michigan and Nolan likes Michigan as well. So. Um, a couple of years ago, the first game of the season was Michigan versus Notre Dame, and uh, if you're familiar with college football, that college game day, there kind of the spectacle of you know like uh, the ESPN's pageantry. It was a it was a big game. The teams were highly ranked. Start of the season. And that's the only time Michigan's highly ranked in the season that hasn't started yet. And so the game, the game, it was game day, we were pawn player in our gear. Uh, you know, Olivia and Megan were in Notre Dame. I was in Michigan, Ella and Nolan were in Michigan too. So comes time for the game and the game starts off and Michigan just starts out with like a, just, they're doing terribly. Uh, like an interception, uh, fumble, Notre Dame's up like 14 to nothing in the first few minutes. And I was frustrated and, and bummed out And so while all this is happening, Ella Ella slides out of the room. And then I was like, where's Ella? And she comes back about a minute later wearing Notre Dame gear. And I was like, Ella, like, come on. I was like, you're adding insult to injury here. Like, what's going on? And so in that moment, you know, Ella's true allegiance came out. She didn't care about Michigan. She just wanted to be with the winner. And so I think often, I think often that's how we relate to to, to, to church and Christianity. You know, it's like if things are going well, then man, I'm going to be a good Christian and things are great. As soon as things don't go, i was like, God, what's your problem? I feel like we're in a time, especially, and it, you know, it is so easy. At least I'll speak for myself. It's been so easy for me to question, God, what are you doing? You felt that? Like you're looking around. I mean, we're, we're what, nine days away from an election where it seems like nowhere close to figuring out how to respond, you know, to, to, to the, the pandemic. And it has been easy just at that level to question, God, what are you doing? You know, even just personally here in the life of the church, you know, like, God, we had so many hopes for year number three, and it's like, what's happening? I think what Jesus is getting at here is that calling us, into gospel authenticity is so much more than us uh, saying, yeah, but I, I, I go to church, or yeah, I, I give occasionally, or, you know, I'm just generally a nice person. I mean, think about what Jesus just said in verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't, isn't that a little bit, I mean, scary? I mean, isn't that, isn't that a little bit startling? I'll be honest. like I look at that, and, and it makes me pause. Because look at what Jesus goes on to say in verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Like, just at surface value. Those are good things, right? I mean, think about that. If 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 Ben came in here this morning and be like, Man, I drove out a demon this week. I prophesied. I did some miracles. Be like, Ben, man, you know, take the mic. You know, we would look at that and be like, That's significant. But Jesus says, Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. When Jesus points towards this future day of judgment and he makes this smart, startling statement, he says, Just simply doing good works, even in the name of Jesus, cannot merit a relationship with him. You know, again, another low hanging fruit example would be think about Judas. Y'all, this guy was with Jesus. Matter of fact, in, in, in Matthew chapter 10, we learn of Judas going out with the other disciples, and guess what they did? They did miracles, they spoke in the name of the Lord, they drove out demons. But at the end of Judas' life, is he, is he hearing the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant? Is that what he's hearing? What, is he, what does he learn? Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. I mean, that, that to me, if, if, we're, if we're truly longing for gospel authenticity in, his, in our lives, this is a sobering gut check whether you have professed Jesus since you were five and that was 50 years ago, so if if you call on the name of the Lord this past week, this is something that we have to pause and consider, it's sobering. However, though, I want to offer us a response to this sobering statement. What we need to do in a sobering moment like this, first of all, is to preach the gospel to ourselves initially, potentially, for our salvation. Listen to what Romans 10, 9 through 13 says. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, here's the promise, you will be saved. He says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek between Democrat or Republican? For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the gospel, but preaching the gospel to ourselves isn't just pertinent for our salvation. We learn also in scripture it's for our sanctification as well. Paul says in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. But listen to what verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When you're preaching that gospel to yourself, when you're preaching the good news of Jesus, that he loved you, that he died for you, that he gave his life on a cross for yours, all of a sudden, it removes the responsibility of you having to work to gain God's favor. And all of a sudden, you're welcome into a family where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, for it is easy, it is light. When we preach that gospel to ourselves, it's what we need for life here and forever. Are you truly, authentically a follower of Jesus? When you consider the call that Jesus makes here, And when you consider the sobering judgment that awaits those who even did good things, we have to consider the promises of Scripture. So we preach the gospel to ourselves, but one of the other ways that we respond to such a sobering statement like this is we seek, and I'm going to define what I mean by this, so bear with me, we seek to live in authentic community with other believers. Let me explain what that is and why I think it's important. By illustrating it, we offer at our church, and it's this, this not a plug, but this sets the context, something called a growth group. And those growth groups are designed for about three people to get together to talk, to pray, and to read God's word. I meet with Garrett and Ben on a weekly basis to do this. This past week, we spent about two hours together talking, sharing, confessing, praying. Reading God's word. Simple, right? When you, and I'll speak for myself, when I am in, in that conversation, listening to them, reading the word, you know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded of, I believe, by the spirit, the acceptance I have in Jesus. I'm reminded the, the, the call that he has put on our, our, our lives. It gives us an opportunity to stop and consider what God is doing, not just in my life, but in those who would confess the same things. It gives us an opportunity to, what we're seeing here, examine, am I producing good fruit? You know, as Garrett and I and Ben talked this week, you know what we did? We confessed that there was some bad fruit that we needed to get rid of. We confessed that there were some things in our life that we want to change. We shared our love for God. We shared our hope that Jesus would change us. This stuff, it's not, it's not rocket science, but here's the important thing. When you're in a setting like that, you know what that allows for? Not just an open honesty that you know, is put on you, but you're, you're, you're putting yourself in a position where other people can speak into your life. Even though Garrett and Bannard, 10, 15 years younger than me, 15, 20 years younger than me. I'm able to receive from them a word of encouragement, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And all of a sudden, I'm reminded once again to go back to him, to go back to his word and to live out what scripture tells me. When you live in that that type of intentionality to be in relationships like that, you'll quickly know who you really are. You'll quickly, you'll quickly know what you really value and love. Because if someone sees sin in your life and they call you out on it and your response is trying to cover it up or deny it, my question is, do you really know Jesus? However, in that setting, when, when you're going to the word and prayer together and, they, and someone lovingly shares with you, brother, your sister, you know, here's this in your life, all of a sudden, because of that authentic community you're in, you're given an opportunity for change and growth. Now why is this significant? It's significant because this is our these are our lives. What Jesus is calling us to here is to consider whether or not you are his follower or someone who's going to stand in judgment. We ought to take this call seriously and he gives us he gives us this process of comparison. He gives us a prospect of condemnation, but finally and I think very beautifully, he shows us this portrait of construction to help us truly consider whether or not we are living in true authenticity. This says in verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. But what happened to that house? It didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. And in contrast, in this tale of twos here, he, everyone who hears these words of mine doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house. But what happened to that house? It collapsed. And it collapsed with a great crash. Jesus ends this entire sermon with a vivid and memorable illustration We encounter the two houses, one built on the the rock and the other built on what? On sand, all right. Now I find this interesting because here in Florida, this has kind of a a real like straight line connection. If you think about it, um, I was introduced to the word sinkhole when I moved here to Florida a few years ago when we were kind of looking to rent or buy a home. And I had a friend share with me his story of he bought a house that was on a sinkhole. Thankfully, for his sake, he had some insurance that covered it. But literally, it's like one day, his house like imploded. You know, like the, He lost his kitchen and his dining room, and, and half of his house had to be rebuilt because it was built on this sinkhole. The foundation, the ground, was not stable. And when you look at this illustration of having a life built on the rock, or having a life built on the sand, I think a natural question we have to ask is, what foundation are you building your life on? You know, I find it to no surprise that when you look into Scripture, all throughout you find examples that God is referred to as the rock. Psalm 18, 1 through 3 David says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. He says, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. In the wilderness where Israel wandered, what we studied this summer, God sustains Israel by providing water from what? The rock. Numbers 28, 20 verse 8 says, God says to Moses, take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. And the Apostle Paul makes a fascinating statement in 1 Corinthians 10. In 1 Corinthians 10. When he says, now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So what we're seeing at the end of this sermon is a call Through a picture of a house built on sand or built on the rock. And ultimately what Jesus is calling his followers, he's calling those who are listening to him. And this is why we should echo the prayer of David from Psalm 61 where he says, Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. And he says, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In our most unprecedented and uncertain time there is no greater prayer no greater cry than you or i could make than a call out to the rock who is jesus and whether you're a christian and you're calling out to him for sustaining grace or whether you are not one of his followers and you are pleading for saving grace i'm asking you this morning what foundation is your life built upon If you are here and your foundation is not upon the rock, which is Jesus, this is what's going to happen. The storms of life will pound you. You will be, you will suffer through the difficulties of this life. And unfortunately, you will not be prepared. You will collapse. And that collapse will be a great crash. But there is a promise that Jesus says that whoever builds upon him And his teachings and his words can endure not only the storms of this life, but they'll be prepared for eternal life. So as you consider this call this morning into gospel authenticity, where do you stand? Can you genuinely say, authentically say, not perfect, but God has done a work in me. I don't quite understand it, but, but God, has, God has given me the gift of salvation. I believe his word and my life is built upon him. Or is there uncertainty? Is there, is there disdain? This morning, I want to give you an opportunity just to simply respond to this call, to literally call upon the name of the Lord right here, or maybe even at home as well. Jesus says that those who are not genuinely, truly a follower of him have a prospect of condemnation, have judgment in their future. Why would you want to live any longer, especially in the times we're in, without the certainty of having your life built upon Jesus Christ? Why can't that change? Father, Lord, as we consider your word, as we consider this call, Father, I pray that you would do a work, Lord, a miraculous work of salvation that only you can do. I'm going to give you a moment here this morning. Maybe you're at home. Maybe you're here. Just sitting, we're going we're to put some music on in just a moment. And I want to give you an opportunity to simply respond to what we've heard this morning. You know, we, we've read from Scripture how anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Grace to us is a gift, and we've been saved through faith. There's nothing you need to do to earn this. You could right here, right now, today. In the quietness of this moment, ask Jesus to save you. Maybe you need to grab someone who you came with or find someone in the back and just ask them for counsel or for prayer. Maybe you don't quite understand this yet and you need further instruction. You're in the right place. But let me say this though. If you today full, fully know that you are living a life that's not built on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus, why would you leave here thinking that you can endure the storms that are to come? We talk about living authentic, be honest. Be real. Understand that. And and you're in a perfect time to admit this, that life's too uncertain. There's too much danger in this life and the next to go without having security. And that security is offered to you by nothing you need to do or work for or to attain. It's offered to you through Jesus. So, Honestly, authentically admit your need for him this morning. Call on his name. Ask for forgiveness. Receive the gift of salvation. What are you waiting for? For those that have done that, this makes sense to us. We get it. But also for those of us that have done this, why are you fearing He's going to be elected? fearing the uncertainty of the pandemic? We know we don't belong to this world. Our kingdom is yet to come. Our Lord is over all of this. Preach that gospel to yourself. Remind yourself who you are in Christ. Remind yourself of what is yet to come. Remind yourself that God does only that which is good. don't leave this morning uncertain of God's promises and blessings. Leave this this morning with the hope of the gospel, the hope of Jesus, that your life is built upon Him.